Ion 2020, episode 56. Have 2020 vision with Ion 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies, along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. Hey everybody, it's Ray Eaton, your host of Eye on 2020, your source for all the news and related events of the lead up to the 2020 election. Appreciate you coming out and listening today. Go ahead and subscribe to the show if you can. First time listeners, I really do appreciate you tuning in for the first time. And if you keep on returning on a daily basis, thank you so much for listening in and getting all the news that you need for the uh, 2020 election. I know some of you may not be making decisions on who you're going to vote for. Some of you might not even vote. I get a lot of libertarian listeners that don't even vote, uh, which is fine. I'm just here to you know pre- prepare the news for you, present the news for you in a concise way that's going to help you to make some decisions. Uh, and, you know, hey, make some memes. Why not, might as well, right? That's the big thing uh, nowadays. And if you could, you know, if I could lead you to some video feeds and so forth, you could make some gifts as well. Uh, you know, it's always fun to hop onto Facebook and argue with your friends, argue on Twitter with your friends about these candidates as well. You might want to do that. You know, who knows? Uh, but anyway, yeah, I appreciate you listening. Go ahead and give me, or go ahead and subscribe and give me a five star rating and review if you can. Hit me up on I on the Empire. That's my Twitter handle at I on the Empire, and I have I on the where I'm going to be posting news articles and related events for the 2020 election as well as information with regards to our empire that we live in. Foreign policy, domestic policy, keeping an eye on Washington, D.C., eye on everything. Hey, that's why I picked that, uh, picked that, picked that uh, website, it's eye on the empire, so I could have an eye on everything. And that's what we're doing. We're keeping an eye on this nation that we live in so that you can be more informed. So I just wanted to let you guys know that I appreciate you listening and uh, if you could subscribe, that would be great. If you want to reach out to me, go ahead and do that. You can uh, make some comments in the comments field at my website. You can also uh, hit me up on Twitter. Today, I just wanted to bring you some of the news and let you know some of the happenings that are going on. Um, kind of the big thing that I've been hearing and reading today is a lot about uh, the Electoral College and that how the Democrats are trying to get rid of the Electoral College uh, in some ways, and I, there's, I, I think there's a, there's like a campaign out there which is trying to get rid of the electoral college because they want. It's, I think it's called like national popular vote, and I'm going to go ahead and hit up that website and let you know a little bit about what they are standing for. So if you go to nationalpopularvote.com on their section that shows explanation, uh, the national popular vote is a compact between the states and. What it does is who it says the national popular vote bill interstate comic would guarantee the presidency to the candidate who receives the most popular votes in all 50 states and the District of Columbia. The bill ensures that every vote in every state will matter in every presidential election. The national popular vote bill preserves electoral college and state control of elections. 
So I think this bill specifically, from doing a little bit of research on it, it just says that instead of having a winner-takes-all system in a lot of these states, so if you, for example, South Carolina, whoever wins South Carolina, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, um, Donald Trump would get all of those electoral college votes, right? So let's say, I don't know how many exactly electoral college votes South Carolina has. It's based upon population within these states. But if Donald Trump wins South Carolina, then he would get, let's say, 10 electoral college votes. But what if he gets 60% of the vote in South Carolina? Then ideally in this world, he would get six electoral college votes in South Carolina and Hillary Clinton would have got 40 or four, sorry, four electoral college votes. So I think that that's what this is. Um, and I was just, I, I was always confused on that. I was thinking, I've always thought in my mind that this is set up that whoever wins the popular vote in America in general would be the person that wins. So then all that you would have to do is focus in on New York City. You'd only have to focus in on California, Los Angeles, San Francisco, these larger cities, that's the only places you have to go in order to win. Um, But I think that looking into it further today, it seems to me that it might be a pretty good system. But I'd like to bring out some of these critiques as well for that people say about this in order to give a more thorough evaluation of this national popular vote idea. From a purely libertarian standpoint, There's skeptics on both sides in the libertarian movement on whether you should even vote in the first place, right? Um, Because voting typically is, you know, something that they, a lot of libertarians would say that voting is you, you know, enacting power over somebody else through the ballot box. Some people say that. Some people say that, you know what, you should vote in a defensive way. So then that's a rationale for voting. I've... I typically do not vote, so but I don't take it as a moral obligation either way. I just choose not to. I don't, you know, I don't take a stand because I do think that you should be able to defensively vote. But I also think that if you're voting for somebody and then they go and initiate a war on somebody else, and I was in support of that person, then maybe some moral obligation falls on me in that way as well. But from the national popular vote standpoint. Um, I'm not sure where a libertarian would specifically stand on that issue. Um, I do think it's kind of weird that a state would get, you know, a state would enact something that says, all right, whoever wins my state gets all of the all of those votes. But then again, that does prever- preserve a lot of state power in the sense that what a state does is, you know, everyone in the state goes and votes and whoever wins that state, then that state sends their delegates to the electoral college and they win. Now a state should be able to make their own decision on whether or not they have they would send a delegation that would be all from one candidate, like the winner take all model, or whether they should send delegates, you know, for representing their state on how many people won or what what percentage, you know, of those delegates are going to vote for Trump versus Hillary in that example, right? So I think that states should preserve their right to be able to make that decision, I guess, because you want to bring all decision-making authority closer to the individual in a more of a libertarian-type society, right? So you run up, so 
I don't think that it should be Washington delegating to the states what they have to do. So from a purely libertarian standpoint, you want to have more decision-making power closer to the individual and closer to the individual's community. So when you have a national government that's going to force the states to do something, I don't think that there should be like a national popular vote amendment per se. Because you do want to preserve the power of those states to have some kind of decision because the federal government has taken way, like so much power away from the states since, you know, since the founding of this country when it was individual states that just basically formed a, you know, a trade way to trade amongst each other essentially is what it was originally and then the federal government slowly takes on more and more power away from the states and after the civil war you know and after the civil war and the way that they interpret the constitution with uh interstate commerce like the federal government can pretty much do anything in the name of interstate commerce nowadays and regulate anything in the name of interstate commerce so the voting so let me get into what the National Popular Vote says. They, they on their website, they're talking about different myths and so forth. And um, if you want to go and hit, and hit that, go to that website, that would be fine and take a look. But they do answer some of the myths. But then what I really want to do is look at some of the people that are against the National Popular Vote and see what they have to say as well to give two sides of the argument. Because that's something that... I mean, at some point in your state, you might be voting on this issue, right? So you might as well have a little bit of good information on this. I wonder how it would help out the third-party candidates, though, and that's something that I'm concerned about as well, because you do have third parties like libertarians. So let's say a libertarian candidate was able to get 25 30% of the vote in a specific state, because I think Gary Johnson was able to get 15 16% of the vote in New Mexico back when. So would they be sending delegates at that point, right? Would that help the third-party candidates? That's something that I want to look into as well. So I did find an article about this, and it kind of makes a case for third parties uh, if you were able to get more of a popular vote-type scenario going. And what they said is that um, the winner-take-all systems hamstring third parties. And this is from uh, 538.com, and it says, Take the case of Ross Perot. He won 19% of the vote in 1992, which is the largest national vote share for a third-party candidate since 1912. But he didn't win a single electoral vote. In his best state, Maine, Pro lost by 8 points to Bill Clinton. Wow, that's insane. Pro's underperformance highlights the systemic challenge third-party candidates face in the Electoral College. All but two states give all their electoral votes to the candidate who won the majority or plurality however slim of the votes in the state. I think since this uh, since this article was written, that's way different, because I, th- I just said earlier that it's, you know, probably 15, 16 states or so. So, um, for a third-party candidate to win electoral votes, he or she must win states outright, which Pro wasn't able to do in 1992. Some candidates with a stronger regional base, like segregationist George Wallace, have said success winning a handful or have had success winning a handful of electoral votes but otherwise a third party candidate hasn't been able to overcome the majority party duopoly and that's true so we have two parties and maybe the the electoral college system the way it is now with the winner takes all systems that are in place um maybe it 
I mean, it, it definitely plays to the two-party system more, it seems like to me, after I'm done a little bit of research. So if Ross Perot would have won 19% of the vote, or he did win 19% of the vote in 1992, he was he would have gotten 19% of the vote overall in America, right? So he would have had 90% of those electoral college uh, votes as well, and it would have put him more on the map, and it would have made it possibly that you would have maybe had a runoff in that world. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure how they would actually set it up. If it would just be, nine, he would have got 19%, let's say George Bush got 38%, and Bill Clinton got the difference, or whatever. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the numbers were at the time. I don't see that in this particular article. But I just wonder if uh, if you would have a third-party candidate, if it would be better in that type of system. Now, what I'm looking at now is I would like to see some of the research that says, you know, did Gary Johnson at that point get one or two of the electoral votes out of, let's say, one of these states, New Mexico? Now, I guess New Mexico is not in this system yet, but they're going to vote on it. But what a Gary Johnson, if, I mean, I think he won like 10 or 12% or even 15% in Mexico, would if he have gotten 15% of their delegates at that point? Who knows? I mean, that's, that's what I'm wondering in the system that these people are voting on with this national right to vote system. Because Colorado, I know that they just voted on it and now they're going to be part of this system as well, or this national popular vote. So, um, but the article, it says, it gets into winner-take-all systems ham, ham part, hamstring third parties. And then it says, 2020 may be a bad time for a third-party run. So if a third-party candidate is unlikely to win, why do they still run? Historically, there are a variety of reasons why candidates have thrown their hats into the ring. But relatively successful third-party candidates have depended upon fractious party schisms, frustrations with the status quo, regionally based movements and poor economic conditions the question is do such conditions exist right now and could they be enough to take some someone like schultz or make someone like schultz competitive so this article is specifically about howard schultz and if he ran as a third party would that help him it's not going to help him it says because of the system that we have now even a hugely popular person like ross pro who was speaking a very populist message back in 1992, he got 19% of the vote and he didn't even win a single um, single vote in the Electoral College. So from my standpoint, what I'm seeing right now, it is not good for third parties that there's Electoral College because the two-party system is so entrenched within these states. So maybe it would be good. I've, I've always I've been on the impression, though, that getting rid of the Electoral College would be a negative thing. I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on this, though, because I know libertarians have a huge... I mean, there's a lot of different people out there that say different things about the Electoral College on the libertarian spectrum, and I'd love to hear your voice on that. Or if you're a Democrat or Republican, let me hear what you have to say as well. Uh, you can do that at I am the Empire, and that's my Twitter handle. Go ahead and hit me up and let me know what you think. Uh, but so far, I'm kind of falling on the side. And I've I've honestly never looked into this that deep until today. I'm honestly starting to fall onto the side of the Electoral College that it should be more of a popular vote because it's going to help out the third parties. It'll help out the Green Party. It'll help out the Libertarian Party. It'll help out a lot of these third parties. It'll maybe make people more willing to vote for a third party because, I mean, I know for myself... 
I've thought about this in the past. I live in South Carolina. It's going, it's going Republican no matter what. Every single time, right? So I've said this, well, I've said this to my wife before. I said a lot, it doesn't matter if I vote anyway, whether I vote Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, you know, Jim Bob's party or wherever. South Carolina is going Republican, so they're going to get, you know, whoever, Donald Trump is going to get South Carolina's delegates, no matter what. So I've said that in the past, but that might make somebody like myself make a different decision about voting at that point, right? Maybe Libertarians would have a chance. Maybe Green Party would have a chance. Maybe Socialist Party would have a chance. Who knows? Um, but I mean, that's something that that's something definitely to look into. As long as you were able to preserve the fact that the states need to have a little bit of say in the federal government, um, I think that I could be swayed in that direction. But uh, as a libertarian, you know, I think that we need to keep get ideally decisions need to be made at a local level at an individual level based upon property rights uh protecting property rights and that's about it um but we do have an overburdensome federal federal government states need to pull a little bit of that power away and then the people can pull that away from the states if they can you know that's that's the key to a libertarian society is pull all that power away from the federal government pull more than the people in their communities can start pulling pulling the power away from the state governments and then the people can start pulling power away from their individual city governments and at that point we have a more libertarian society Um, and that's the direction that we need to go in this world would this system help out i think that a lot of people are libertarians in this country a lot of people have libertarian viewpoints in this country whether they're hey, I just want less government, to hey, I'm a complete anarcho-capitalist, right? You're going to have different people on different spectrums, but a lot of people are libertarian light to extreme libertarians in their views. So maybe if you were had a system that was set up that was more towards this popular vote thing, maybe that would be helpful. Who knows? Um, but that's just my two cents on that, guys. And I'd love to, like I said, I'd love to hear your views on this as well. But the more I research this, the more I'm kind of swayed more towards a um, popular vote idea if you're going to be voting for the presidency. That is, of course, as long as it keeps the power of the delegates within the state's hands because you can't just have the, the you can't have each of the candidates only focusing in on New York in California. That can't be the case, right? Um, because then it just basically leaves everybody else out. So I think that you need to preserve the, the power of the states in these elections. So as long as it was whoever wins your state, you know, they don't get all of the votes, or they don't get all the de- delegates, but they split it up by the percentage of how they won. That would be, that seems like it would be a pretty good idea. Not Now, some people, though, think that whoever wins the popular vote overall, so there should be no electoral college at all. Some people are for that, getting rid of the electoral college altogether. And I don't think that I would ever get on board with that because then you're just going to have that situation where it's deal. They're only the they're only you know presidential candidates are only going to the highest populated cities. To me, that would be a situation that even Alaska would be out. You know, no one would ever talk about Alaska. No one would ever be going to South Dakota, North Dakota. No one would ever be going to Idaho, Idaho, you know, Iowa. They would never do that. So 
I think that that would be a that would be someplace something that um, would definitely not be something I could support. But as long as it keeps, as long as that popular vote idea keeps the electoral college, that that to me that seems like it would be a good system. But you know what? It's a better system. It's just you know having a federal government that has so little responsibility in this world has so little responsibility over your life, has so much little responsibility over the states, having a president that has so little power that he can wield over the people that it doesn't really matter how much, you know, where he goes when he's running for president, right? Because he can't promise all the handouts that he has. He can't promise, you know, more and more stuff to more and more people that he can't go into a city that, you know, like New York City, he can't go into L.A. and hand out all these promises to people because he has so little power, there's so little money that the federal government has control over that they that he just wouldn't have the ability to wield that power. And to me, that's the secret to a successful federal government. So all this idea of getting rid of the electoral college so that we could have more power uh, or, you know, getting rid of this electoral college, that wouldn't even come into play if we weren't, you know, if the federal government didn't have so much power as it is. So that's that's the main issue from a libertarian standpoint. Let's take power away from the federal government. Let's get on track where the federal government has so little power over your life that the president doesn't even matter in your world, right? That the thing that would matter in your world is who's the governor of your state, who's the local politicians within your city council, because those are the people that are wielding power over your pocketbook. If we took the government power away at the federal level, then it really wouldn't matter who the president is in the first place, right? Because all they would doing be doing is just managing the military managing the federal courts, you know, maybe a few other token tasks that they do, but that's about it. And that, that that's where the government may have been, you know, in the very beginning, constitutionally. That might have been the idea that the founders, that the framers of the Constitution had when they were writing the Constitution, but we've gotten so far away from that to where now the federal government has so much power over your life that every single thing that you see on the news, every single thing that you see, you know, constantly, it's just blaring how important the presidency is because they do, they wield so much power over you. So let's get, I mean, if that was, that would be the ideal scenario and then we wouldn't have this argument over whether the electoral college is good or bad, if you should have a popular vote or not, because if you have a popular vote nationwide, you got rid of the electoral college completely, you had a popular vote nationwide, then a president would be going into New York saying, yep, we're going to get these trains fixed. Yep, we're going to get these subways fixed. Yep, we're going to pave your streets in gold. Yep, we're going to put you guys back to work. That's what they'll be doing. And that's not the, that's not the, that's not a president's responsibility. That should be the local government's responsibility. And let's take the power away from the federal government and then we'll have more 
success in this country. But that's that's my main point right here, guys. It's just, you know, yeah, we're having all these arguments about the things that are going on in the federal government. But if you just took that power away, if you defunded the government, maybe, I won't say by not paying your taxes by any means, but maybe start electing people that are going to start putting that power back to the states, putting the responsibility back to the states, the local governments, and so forth, then we'll have a much better a much better country but also you know we won't be having these little petty arguments about who's going to win the popular vote or not right so that's my main point on that let's move on to some other subjects though uh because i don't want to make this episode go too long today all right pete Buttigieg, right pete Buttigieg. i gotta get that name right i actually watched some videos on this thing to make sure i get it right but pete Buttigieg, he is running for president and I was listening to some of his Sunday Sunday morning appearances earlier this week, and he's a pretty, I don't know, not well-spoken guy, but he's, I mean, I guess you could say that. He, he sounds very good, right, when he's talking, and that's not to me. I'm a libertarian. That's not to me. I'm just saying he seems like he can be somebody that people will listen to, and I think that he might be a sleeper in this election to be honest with you, he, when he answers questions, he doesn't really dodge around the questions too much like a politician. He kind of answers directly. He answers very concisely and he doesn't stutter like me. He doesn't restate the same thing over and over again. He's, he's definitely sounds, well, he's polished. That's the best way to put it. He's very polished when he speaks and I think that when he when people are listening to him, I bet they'll like him. I mean, he's a Midwestern guy. He's from Indiana. He is the mayor of Indiana, and he's 37 years old. And that might be a thorn in his side. Who knows? But Democrats love somebody that's clean cut, that's younger, that speaks well, that can woo the crowd. They love that type of character. That type of character. He seems like he might have that. He doesn't have the Obama charisma by any means. Where people just have to smile when they listen to him but he seems like he knows what he's talking about when he's talking about the issues whether you come out on his side or not you can listen to him and say well at least he's speaking it eloquently right and when I was listening to people to just talk I just you know I felt like hey he's somebody that people will listen to so um I'll go ahead and put his information I guess a link to one of his commercials onto my website at iontheempire.com or that's yeah iontheempire.com if you go ahead and go there you'll I'll put a link on my website to one of his commercials but I think that if you look into the guy um I mean he's a democrat so he's gonna be for your you know Medicare for all. I think he was talking about that. He was talking about a green new deal. He's talking about that but he has like a Ford a forward-thinking message is what he's going for, right? That we can't look in the past. We have to look forward to the future. So somebody helped him come up with these ideas because Donald Trump was a make America great again. So that's looking in the past. So he's going to be going up against a Donald Trump that's going to be forward-looking as well. Continue for the next eight year, or the next four years. Continue making America great and all that. So Pete but Buttigieg is going to be going against him on those issues, so I think he's going to have that forward-thinking message as well. Uh, he says in the quote, I quote, The reality is there's no going back. There's no such thing as again in the real world. 
We can't look for greatness in the past. Right now, our country needs a fresh start, end quote. So that's what he's saying. Wait, the country needs a fresh start. One of his things that he says on his uh, Twitter handle, it says, I have more years in, of government experience under my belt than the president. I also have more years of ex- executive government experience than the vice president and more military experience than anybody to walk into the, that office on day one since George H.W. Bush. So when they talk to him about his experience, he's going to use that as his answer. Um, but I, when I was listening to him, I mean, he's just, he seems like he knows what he's talking about when he talks and people, when they listen to a person talk that's running for president, they want to feel confident in that person. And I think the average voter might actually listen to him and feel confident about him. Now, the Republicans are going to hit him and say, well, he is openly, he's an openly gay mayor. Um, so that's going to be a thorn in his side on like your Christian conservative voters, but they're not going to vote for him anyway. So I don't think he has to worry about that, uh, losing that vote. Cause he's, he's not going to gain that vote anyway. What the, what the Democrat is going to be trying to do is appeal to the masses, appeal to the blue collar worker, appeal to the Midwesterner that Trump was able to win, um, that Ohio voter, the Indiana voter, the Michigan voter, you know, those voters in the Midwest who are looking for somebody that's going to, you know, help them economically get jobs and everything else, right? That's what they're going to be looking for. I don't know if he really stacks up on that. He does not. He seems like he's trying to tow a a middle road. When I was listening to him talk, right, he's, he's trying to tow the idea that says that, or, you know, walk the road that's going to be leading down to the right of the Bernie Sanders people, right? The, to the right of Elizabeth Warren. And there is a lot of, there are a lot of people now that are trying to race towards that middle ground between the moderate Republican, moderate Democrat, and that, you know, far left idea that Bernie Sanders has. But I don't, I've always said this, I don't think that a Bernie Sanders type person is going to win. I think that a more a progressive Democrat that's a moderate progressive Democrat is going to win. I think that's where uh, this campaign is going to go. Um, and this guy, he seems like he might be, he might have that. I mean, he looks clean cut and all that. He is a white male, though, and that might be bad for him. But he is a he is a gay male, so that might help him in a Democratic primary. Who knows? I mean... They are they are all about identity politics within the Democrats, so that that's going to be a hindrance and a help. So we'll see where that goes. You don't hear much too much about Cory Booker right now, and that's something that I was wondering about as well. Um, I've been looking for news articles on him, and I don't know if he's really out there hitting the campaign trail hard yet. But he did announce that he's running. So, um, but yeah, that's Pete Buttigieg, and I probably just pronounced it wrong. So. Uh, look into him though. He, he seems like, you know, if you listen to him, he's well-spoken, you know, that's, um, he's polished and he can, he can answer questions in a non-politician dodgy type way. And you know what I'm talking about when I say dodging all the questions, they never really answer it. He did answer the questions pretty concise. You know, I think I heard him t- say that he wasn't for reparations. He like not a specifically a payment to the people, but they need to invest in the communities, but that's a talking point that I've heard. I mean, I I heard um, Klobuchar say that as well. So, the same exact thing actually was. I'm not for reparations in the sense of a cash payment, but I'm for investing in those communities. 
Eh, you know, all Democrats say they want to invest in those communities, though. So that's not anything new. Um, a lot of these people are, and I heard him say it as well, he's not for Medicare for all, but maybe a path towards it at that point. Maybe Medicare for some now, and then eventually becomes all, because a, a government agency that's competing in the private sector, will more people will start going towards Medicare anyway, because it'll be so much better, which we all know that's crap when you say the government's going to do something better than the private sector anyway. Um, but you know what? The government has an advantage over the private sector because they don't have to make a profit. They could run deficits year in and year out. They could run trillion-dollar deficits if they want to, and they're still going to be able to compete. So they don't really have to have a better product because they don't, you know, so they could lower prices if they want to than the private insurance companies do. So, I mean, it'll it'll... It'll definitely be a hindrance in the private healthcare market if you made Medicare for some in that way or open up Medicare to anybody, right? Um, but anyway, I think he's for that. He's not for Medicare for all in the sense of a single-payer system exactly right now, but he wants to move towards it, and that's pretty much what they're all for as well. So I think I heard him say that. I think he has a CNN town hall as well. Uh, you might want to look that up if you're really interested in listening to the guy talk. Um but anyway, I do appreciate y'all listening to the show today. Um, I just wanted to bring, uh, like I said, I wanted to bring up a little bit about this idea of a uh, getting rid of the getting rid of the electoral college or a national popular vote idea. I wanted to get more deep into that because I've I've heard a lot about that on the news now. A lot of people will take this national popular vote idea and say, oh. Are you just talking about getting rid of electoral college? I don't think a lot of the news agencies frame that, frame it that way. But the one that's being pushed right now is just keep the electoral college, but make it set up so that if a candidate wins your state, then you just or wins your state, they don't get. It's not a winner take all system, but it's divided between the candidates. And I think that's a better system. I've you know I I'm not going to defend it to my death by any means, but. It does sound pretty good to me so far from what I've seen, but I am open to conversations on that. So, uh, and then I wanted to bring you a little bit of this Pete Bettigigarell. I thought that it was interesting listening to him talk. And uh, if you want to hear more about him, just go ahead and you know research him as well. Uh, but my name is Ray E, and I am your host of Ion Twenty Twenty. Thanks for listening today, guys. And go ahead and come back tomorrow. You can do that by subscribing to the show. And hopefully today your eyes are clearer for this 2020 election.